0: talk about to you.
1: Welcome to another edition of Communication Mixdown. Down. Hello, I'm John Langer. With the federal election only five days away, we're going to continue our in-depth discussion of political communication. And our guest this week says that this year's election marks a bit of a milestone – It'll be the first federal election in Australia where the parties will be advertising more on social and digital platforms than in traditional media like television, radio, newspapers and magazines. His name is Andrew Hughes and he lectures and researches in the areas of television advertising, branding, sports marketing and importantly for our purposes tonight, political marketing strategies he's in in the research school of management at the Australian National University in Canberra. Hello Andrew and thanks for being on Communication Mixdown.
0: Hi John, thanks for having me on. It's great P- to be on.
1: Pleasure. And uh, let's start with that milestone. The first time political parties will be advertising more on social media and in digital platforms than what we used to call what what are we now call heritage media, newspapers, radio, television, so on. One of the things you point to is that digital advertising is amazingly cheap compared to traditional media advertising and that it can be very specifically targeted.
0: That's correct, yeah. So, I mean... Um, Facebook can enable you to do really targeted campaigns which makes it number one cheap to do because you're not going to a huge mass-market audience Um, you can drill it down to a very specific audience by um, gender, um, age, um, location or even interest or attitudes towards something so um, it's a great tool on Facebook and most other social media brands have something similar to what Facebook um, do although that said Uh, they're not as good and sophisticated as Facebook because obviously Facebook collects a lot more data on people because of um, what it asks you to do or provide when you first get an account if you're willing to do so. So we're seeing a huge number of ads being run on Facebook as a platform. Um, Around 250, last time I looked anyway, for the coalition and a similar but a little bit less by count but still over the 200 mark by Labor. Some of those ads um, look the same, but their wording has been changed by two or three words. So it's an interesting way of doing that campaigning because they know, in other words, how that audience might respond, even if they change a couple words in one ad, um, and it can increase the likability of that message.
1: Something else that you've mentioned in in, in your discussions of, of this is that uh, the social media and, and the digital platforms are able to target youth as a... As a kind of demographic,
0: yeah, um, it, it's it's really interesting. This election, it's um, in, in a way, it's a it's a maybe a, a look into elections coming ahead as well, because um, because of the age of the population now. The biggest um, segment by age at this election is people aged over seventy, two point seven million people. But on the other hand, we also have a huge number of first time voters because a lot of people signed up to vote and participate. Um, as part of the marriage equality survey, so what we're seeing is that use of the social media tools specifically targeted at the more digital savvy generations, so Gen X, uh, Gen Y, but specifically for this election, Gen Z, who are the first time voters. So. It's interesting to see how these tools are used to engage with people um, compared to the traditional media types we're seeing as well for maybe the older market, the 70 plus people, where it might be a more emphasis on heritage or traditional marketing methods like direct mail even. there's a bit of a diversity there, and, and it's really interesting to see how that's playing out with engagement levels of different age groups at this election. I think it's one of the more fascinating insights is how people respond differently to different advertising promotional methods of this election.
1: Mm. The uh, Just in terms of targeting youth, uh, can you give us an example of, of something that you've come across that uh, that would specifically have been targeting the youth demographic?
0: Yeah, there's been a couple ads put on Facebook by Labor where they really directly target climate change messages at people who are quite young. Um, so they might be mentioning about how this is a vote for your future, for example, but also then tie into the climate change messaging they've got, which is quite effective. But also the Coalition are doing something similar, but um, in terms of targeting very specifically with language. So it might be the use of images as well to signify the target market. I mean, in this case, it could be someone very young. Um, but they're doing their messaging more around being a small business operator or owner or startup mm. brand. So, it's, you know, a lot of people out there... Who are Gen Z and um, Gen Y? Think about that startup idea. You know that sort of dream to become as big as Facebook and, mm. and to be the next Mark Zuckerberg, as it were. Mm. Mm. And <clears throat> and so what these ads do, they target those people who might be thinking of doing that from the startup perspective. But by saying things like, if you want to, you know, you can use the tax write-off really quickly, or you can mm. use some startup funds. We're going to make a stronger economy. So it's very direct specific language being used on young people. But then on the other hand, the Greens are also doing a lot of more grassroots activity. But what they're using their social media for is more to get people engaged at that grassroots, more face-to-face, personalised level. So that's something unique as well is that Look, it's not as though this is the first social media election, but just the way the strategy is at this election, it's a lot more refined than 2016 or 2013 or even 2010, which is really, Mm. um, in some people's eyes, the first social media election in Australia. But it's become a lot more sophisticated and refined and um, targeted as time's gone on with these elections, as the parties have learned, as they've retained knowledge about how people behave but also what works effectively at engaging people. Mm. And it's really, you know, um, maybe it's just me being super excited, but um, I I look at this and go, wow, it's interesting to see how they're trying to find the right triggers to switch us on and make us more engaged with their messaging because that's really important. If they don't get that really strong emotional response from people, Mm. then the message isn't as effective as what it could be or should be.
1: Something that, uh, as you were speaking, just struck me because there's been a few clunkers uh, in the past uh, where various political parties have tried to use social media. I'm thinking now of uh, Scott Morrison using some kind of a rap song or a, a hip hop mm. song and. Have there been any uh, any clunkers that you have come across particularly in relation to young people because they're they're very they 're quite savvy I think in relation to uh how how the social media works
0: yeah, you know what the biggest one for me is this campaign and it's disappeared without a trace, thankfully very very quickly with Scott Morrison going on to Snapchat as a way of trying to get the young people vote so I thought wow what a what a mistake to make you 're not their age you can 't relate to them by age or by using them using a social media or media platform um, to say, hey, because I'm on this platform, I understand you, I get you, I'm speaking your language. It's better to be accessible in your way, by your platforms, let people come to you but then engage with them. And I think that's more powerful, mm. um, particularly with a lot of young people out there, is that they want that face-to-face engagement still, they still want that um, sense that people care about what they're saying and how they're listening to them. But that was a clunker because I thought just the assumption made was that, hey, we're on Snapchat, that should conquer the mm. youth vote. It was like, you know, a lot of assumptions there about how young people behave and how they think, yes. um, which is never a good thing because, you know, despite their age, they're still people. And a lot of people mm. out there would tell you that they're not predictable or that wouldn't like to be seen as predictable with their political behavior or how they um, vote at elections. Mm. So. I think that's what the, a huge mistake made by the coalition this election. They haven't gone on with it, thankfully. Um, mm. I, I can't recall hearing anyone talk about Scott Morrison on Snapchat or what he's doing on Snapchat. But that was one. The rap video was another. Yeah. Um, there's, you know, there's been a few other ones mm. there mm. Um, where he turned up to the, the horse races early on in the campaign. I think he went to see one of the, um, yep. the horses running a race in mm. Sydney, Mm-mm. and I think that was another attempt to go, hey. I'm trying to be you or, you know, show yep. that I can relate to you. Now, as I said, that's just not the way to do it. You want to be relatable, but maybe mm. do it in such a way that you're accessible through other means or other ways you communicate, not just on what platform you use on social media or what events you might attend.
1: Mm. Another factor, as I understand it, that has to do with uh, the in relation to social media and digital platforms is... Related to the law, the laws relay, relating to political advertising, and there's a big difference with what's allowed between traditional media and social media.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, and and look, um, one of the key differences here is the blackout law. Now, um, the blackout law starts midnight on Wednesday, so that after that time, we won't hear anything on um, traditional heritage media like television, radio, print. All that will go quiet, so we'll hear and see a lot of Clive Palmer ads, for example, up until that point in time. But come um, 12.01 a.m. on Thursday morning, uh, expect to see social media alight um, with a lot of ads and messaging from the parties, because what will happen then is that they are allowed to go all the way, including on election day, with their materials and communications, as long as they meet the AEC requirements for being authorised. So parties aren't restricted at all. They can put on as many ads as they want. I think what we'll see, and I'm going to measure it this election, Mm. is a lot more ads will come out, a lot more diversification of messages, in fact, on the social media platforms to try and get those undecided voters across the line. Um, There's a lot of conversation about this issue, though, because a lot of people are saying, well, the point of blackout laws." is that we're meant to go quiet, but also the traditional media organisations and brands out there, um, from Fairfax to News Corp to the television networks, are all saying, hang on, we have every right to be Mm. um, able to capitalise on this as well. Why do the social media giants make all this money? Um, It's not fair. It's discriminated against us. Um, And if anything, it's restricting political communication in Australia. So... It's an interesting argument. I think it's one which will carry on mm. well after the election has been won and uh, and lost by, you might say, mm. um, by you know uh, a, a general conversation about how media is emerging and being used in elections.
1: You also point out that uh, the advertising on social media and digital platforms can be shared and even created by users. Why is this an advantage in terms of political communication?
0: Good, good point, John. Um, Look, the reason why it's really an advantage is because um, if you're making your own content, you're not making um, or paying for an ad. So the traditional um, definition of advertising applies in politics, which is it must be a paid form of communication. So if you're not paying someone... Um, including the social media brands that carry that message. If you're just sharing it on your platform, um, on your different accounts you have, that doesn't meet that definition of being an ad. Therefore, it gets around all the rules relating to advertising, including authorised messaging. So you can seem to have a more natural and authentic story or message happen on your different platforms um, just by you know sharing it and not promoting or boosting that post as it's called on social media. And that's very powerful for some um, political parties out there because then they can give that impression that these messages aren't being made by them, they're coming directly from people in the community who really care about this issue and then it can seem a lot more powerful now um, there are some different organisations doing exactly that at this election. GetUp uh, have already come out, for example, and said they will make one million direct phone calls via mm. volunteers. Now, we took about different methods at this election from traditional to new age to in between. That's definitely one of them. Um, it's using word of mouth really effectively. Mm, it's using mm. volunteer resources really effectively. Um, it's not advertising, so they don't have to worry about the AEC laws. Um, relating to making it uh, sound like a you know authorised message, so um, someone can have a phone call party at their house. They can all get out their phones, mobile or otherwise, and call away to their heart's content. And um, because they're doing that with their money and it's on an ad, then they don't need to say that it's on behalf or being done or authorised messaging. It can just seem like a more natural conversation. Mm. And that's the key in 2019 when it comes to communications and elections is to try and come across as being as natural and authentic as possible because, of course, Mm. one of the greatest criticisms of politicians is that we don't see the real side of them.
1: Yep yep there's, there's scripted scripted uh presentations and so on Andrew, I'm just yeah, thinking Yeah exactly
0: and you look at the um that example of Bill Shorten um you know last week where uh he had you know the Daily Telegraph attacked him um and his mum and mm, you mm. know the the power of that message though it, how social media prolonged that in a way because it then became a campaign of its own on social media and still going, the My Mum Hashtag campaign, Yes, where people were talking about, you know, my mum was like this or she yep, went off and yep. did this for me. Mm, it mm. really drove the residents of that issue in a more natural, authentic and organic way, mm. um, which are really important for Labor. And that's I think that's become one of the defining moments of the campaign. Um, if anything, it probably stopped any sort of momentum going to the Coalition that week in politics, because a lot of the discussion was on um, the role of media and the role of these organisations, whether they have every right to be partisan or not, um, the use of that personalised attack as well. But it's just fascinating insight to see how modern politics now operates around hashtags, trends and social media, but also trying to let it become organic. Mm. And the way we responded to Bill Shorten being organic, the way um, we perceived his image um, changed very quickly after we saw him cry when he talked about Mm. his mum. And Mm. that was such an emotive um, five, ten seconds of footage on most networks because... We've been talking about so long about leaders not being real, but we don't see um, who they might be. They're very mm. scripted with their messaging because they're staying on a central narrative, which then is consistent with the ads they do and the rest of their communication um, strategy overall. But that is a moment where you go, finally, the guard drops a bit and I can see who you are as a person. And that's what I have the resonance with. Mm. Is who you are as a person, that organic individual you are. And I think... Yeah, you know, that, that was really a critical moment in the campaign.
1: Andrew, let's take a break and uh, we'll come back and talk a little bit more. Done. The 3CR Radiothon is fast approaching. And this year, we're asking you to power Radical Radio. That's right. It's with your support that we're able to be independent, community-controlled and focused on people rather than profits.
0: Your support, June Radiothon, powers the station to give voice to hundreds of people and issues for another year.
1: And remember, any amount you can afford makes a big difference and all donations over $2 are tax deductible. 3CR Radiothon 2019. June the 3rd to the 16th. Power Radical Radio. You're with Communication Nickstown and with the federal election coming up. In a matter of days, we're talking about the changing landscape of political communication. Our guest this week is Andrew Hughes. He's a res- in the Research School of Management at the Australian National University in Canberra, and he researches and writes about political advertising. Andrew, I wanted to ask you about uh, Clive Palmer. You've already mentioned him, and he's his party, United Australia Party, is making a fair number of inroads, and he's got truckloads of money, uh, to spend on political advertising. It's estimated up to maybe even $60 million. But you say that he's very knowledgeable and savvy in the way he's using all media platforms. How so?
0: Yeah, um, look, this is the, this is the really interesting about Clive Palmer. Number one, he started his campaign in September last year. So we're now May and In other words, his campaign's been running for basically at least six to seven months, maybe a little bit longer even if you count the fact that um, he made himself very active maybe in around August last year. So although he wasn't running the campaign, then he was more talking about going back into federal politics. It's across different platforms as well. So he's used a mixture of everything from apps to games, um, which I've never seen before in political campaign. In Australia, let alone overseas, I'm struggling to think about a campaign overseas where a game was used like Clive Palmer had out to the use of music, what songs he chose, of course, subject to court action um, still to this day. the way he's then used text messaging as well to drive interest in his website, to make people aware of his website, become familiar with the URL for it. It's, it's really savvy and smart marketing. Mm. Um, where people maybe you know lose a bit on Clive is that they use you know, maybe their own personal bias towards Clive Palmer to not really look at the advertising, how it's working. And uh, look, it's a trap as well, I suppose, to make quite easily, but... Um, you know, he started on zero percent. He's now at seven percent, according to some of the opinion polls out in the last um, few days. So he's done well for himself because he's gone about, from that zero percent mark.
1: Sorry, t- tell us about this game. Did you actually see this game? And did you did you have a look at how it
0: worked? Um, I didn't download it in time. It's on, um, I've got an iPhone too, so I'll admit to that. Um, but it, I believe it's on the Android platform and, um, okay. I haven't seen if it's still around. Right. But friends of mine who did download it in time, because I think it may not be there anymore. Okay. Um, again, I think there's an issue to do with privacy concerns. Mm-hmm. For example, the Android game was tracking people. Mm-hmm. Um, they say inadvertently, uh, but... Who knows, of course. Um, don't know if that's true or not. Um, yeah. We'll take their word for it, though, that it was inadvertent tracking of location. Um, the other but, thing
1: about Clive Palmer is, is what I've noticed is he's also using traditional media. I, I noticed, yeah. for example, today in the Age newspaper, which is the Melbourne newspaper, right, you open the paper up after page one, page two and page three were advertisements for Clive Palmer's party and his policies, and the same thing happened on... on. Um, on Sunday as well, they were full-page, double-page ads.
0: Yeah, you're right, and and you know, John, that's a brilliant point to make as well, because um, what he's doing here is he's making himself appear as though he's a new story, and so he's using these publications, these platforms as a way of adding credibility and authenticity to his messaging, which is, again, really smart and quite sophisticated. Um, And the major parties are left for dead a bit on these sort of ways of doing campaigning. Yeah, it's a lot of money. It's the power of what you can do with a lot of money Mm. is to do this style um, campaigning, but also this level of sophistication where you're becoming the news. You're not just trying to put an ad in the newspaper anymore, where it might appear down the bottom corner, sort of thing. You're now becoming, you know, front and center of the news. And if you think about the colour he's using, um, and that's, look, I've, yes, I've that's, that
1: that's that's what actually that's what struck me. That the pages the, that yellow just bashes you in the eye when you open yeah. it up.
0: And, and, and here's something for those, some of the listeners who might recall this. But back in the day, I remember the yellow pages were so effective because they were yellow, Hmm. and we Hmm. used to get the yellow pages delivered to our house. You know, not so many years ago, not anymore, of course. It's been a long time Hmm. since that's happened. But there'd be people out there with recall of how effective the yellow pages were once upon a time. You know, "Let your fingers do the walking" was the old slogan for yellow pages. (laughs) That's very
1: good. There you go. See (laughs) what I mean? Isn't it brilliant? Very interesting. Very interesting. Uh, yeah, look, isn't it, Chuck? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Look, there's another something else that you uh, wrote wrote about in, uh, in in your article in the conversation. I'll, we'll we'll put the links to that on our on our Facebook page uh, on our sorry on our website. But uh, you say there's an advantage, and you've alluded to this already. There's an advantage with social media media and digital platforms in the sense that they can be responsive to ongoing issues. You've called this the speed of production. What's this yeah. all about?
0: Yeah, the speed of production is how um, some ads now on social media are being made in maybe two or three hours flat. So in other words, um, if I give a press conference, if I'm, say, this is a press conference now between you and I, in three hours' time, if there was someone out there who wanted to go against what I'm talking about with you, then I will put an ad up on Twitter or Facebook. Um, in that short time frame which will then be targeting what we just talked about. Now that's really quick turnaround and what it goes into is how quickly information is going past us so they know that and what they're trying to do is it's more effective to get the message out there quickly than worry about oh yeah there's an editing fail here or it looks a little bit rough around the edges or maybe it's not perfect in terms of the colors used or things mm-hmm. like that but they more concerned about getting that message out while the story is still hot on social media in particular. And so this is part of the trend, again, of modern politics. It comes out of America in 2016, where the Republicans used this method very, very effectively, um, particularly with their targeted messaging on the social media platforms, where they could put out a message really quickly mm. to people that that day. And people would go, whoa, hang on, I didn't know that was happening. And in a, it's in a way, you're engaging them and making them part of the conversation on that issue on that day. It's really fascinating how that works as well.
1: Let's talk about scare campaigns. And we're, we've got a little bit of time, but not too much. And, and issues to do with negative, negative messaging and, and the advantages of using social media rather than traditional media like television. And uh, how would, you've called this micro-targeting. How does this work? And give us one little example.
0: Okay, so micro-targeting would would look at um, and and look, the way it works, now. there's two tools on Facebook which are quite effective, which are called custom audiences and look-alike audiences. Now, um, we know about these two tools, again, thanks to what happened in 2016 in the US, but also the midterms last year in 2018, let people know that these tools are still being used quite actively um, by political parties in America. So how they work is that then I can build an audience which might look alike, Um, based on their interest in a certain issue. I don't know who they are by name, but Facebook will find them for me and I'll tell them, hey, search out people aged, let's say 30 to 40... Um, who might be male, who may be classified as blue-collar workers or see themselves as being very working class. Um, And then what I'll do, once I have that information, I'll say to Facebook, hey, play this ad to them. And this ad could be very much focused on fear of losing the job because of the way the economy has been interfered with by foreign actors. Mm. And so that's one way I plan on people's fears very accurately because those people may have expressed that they're fearful of that sort of thing happening, that I lose my job because of outsourcing. And so Facebook will then show an ad from my party saying, hey, if you're scared of your job being outsourced, you should vote for me because I'm here to let you know I'll protect your jobs here in Australia. And so it seems very personalised. It's negative, but it plays on my specific fears I may have. So my fears I have as a person, you know, I feel as though, wow, you know me really well, and then it's using that fear I might have of losing my job like that it could be another one could be for example health Hmm. and health might be you know hey um instead of you having to queue up for eight hours at an emergency room this weekend if you vote for our party what we'll do we'll try and help you out we might know you've queued for eight hours in an emergency room because you put it on facebook right and so we're using very negative um, messaging Hmm. um at a very localized level
1: Really interesting, Andrew. Let me just ask you this. I don't want you to predict the uh, outcome of the uh, election on Saturday. I don't think that that would be fair. But in the article that you wrote, which I've been referring to in a lot of my questions, which, by the way, is in the conversation – uh, and uh, we will put the link up on our website, the Communication Mixdown website. But you wrote the article in the beginning of May. Have there been any interesting or notable developments on social media platforms or digital media platforms worth mentioning since since you wrote that article?
0: Um, you know, one thing I'll mention, which I, I really haven't um, touched on, particularly in that article, and it's not so much to do with digital campaigning, but. Um, it relates into it in a ways um, there's a character called Captain Get Up, and mm. Captain Get Up was this anti-get up character put out there by a, a group called Advance Australia. Now um, it probably cost them all of you know, a few thousand dollars max to get the suit designed and to have the person walk around in the suit and things like that. It's got them a lot of publicity. They've generated that publicity through um, people looking at that character. Now a lot of it's been negative, granted. And but what they've done then, they've reshared that content. So if you say, "Look at this person dress up as Captain and get up, don't they look like um, an idiot?" What they've done then is repost that message and share it amongst their network as a way of saying, "Look at what we're up against. We're getting sympathy here." Mm. And that's been another hallmark of this campaign: is the way um, social media is done to get sympathy towards who you are as a party now. Captain Get Up so far, and I heard this the other day from someone within um, an advertising company. So I have to get the exact figures for sure, but it might be hard to get. They say that Captain Get Up's raised for Advanced Australia specifically around a quarter of a million dollars. Mm. doesn't suck a huge sum of money, but for your outlay of a few thousand dollars mm. and publicity generated from social media, you can see how that sort of strategy works quite effectively. Mm. Um, it, it's something to note is how we're not just using so- social media to hit people up with negative or fear campaigns or to get um, interest in our campaign. It's also done to get sympathy mm. because a lot of social media posts, we do that to get sympathy. You know, I've had a bad day at work and I have my friends say, hey, Andrew, that's really sad to hear that. And so what we're seeing in um, the later parts of the campaign specifically is how parties are using their post down to get sympathy about who they are and what they are. So it's quite fascinating to see how this campaign's concluding.
1: Andrew, thank you very much for being on Communication Mixdown. We've got to wind it up. It's been really fascinating talking to you and uh, wish you all the best with your research and your writing.
0: Thanks, John. I've really enjoyed being on and um, happy to come on the show any other time you want.
1: I've been discussing the impact of digital media on political communication with Andrew Hughes. He's from the Research School of Management at the Australian Australian National University in Canberra. And the links to his article in the conversation will be on the Communication Mixed Down website along with a podcast of this show. That's all from Communication Mixed Down this week. We'll be back next Monday.